Beth Girl here today with Dr. Jessica Trichel. And today she's going to be talking about some myth busting about veterinary practice ownership. In other words, what do we need to know if we're going from being a veterinary associate to a small business veterinary practice owner? Take it away, Jessica. All right, thanks. I'm, I'm very excited to be here because this is a lot of what my job as an educational outreach veterinarian at Live Oak Bank, this is a, a huge part of what I do is coming in, working in veterinary schools and in CE conferences to bust these myths. These are the common things we hear about people that are holding them back from getting into practice ownership or some things that they think uh, might not quite be true. So the first myth that I absolutely, I feel like I spend half of my time busting this myth, is that I can't buy a practice because of my student debt. That is in fact very false. There are banks out there that understand that in order to get those three letters behind your name, that comes at a price. And most of the time that that turns into student debt. And to really kind of go back to the, the root of this myth, a lot of people think when they're getting a loan for house or car or whatever, that banks are concerned with their net worth. Partly true, but really the root of that is that we're concerned with what is called your debt to income. And that's really looking at how much debt do you have on a monthly turns into yearly basis that you're obligated to, and are you going to have enough income to support that? That's really at the root of what we're looking at. It's not necessarily the entire balance that we're looking at, but rather on a monthly basis, is there enough money coming in to both pay for the debt as well as you living a reasonable lifestyle and not putting yourself in a bind? And so we're typically looking at, for us, one of the things we're going to calculate in as we're looking at a associate getting into ownership, we're going to make sure that they at least at least are able to support themselves with a 50% DTI, debt to income ratio, of we're going to make sure that they have enough money to support a reasonable lifestyle for themselves and not get themselves in a bind. And so obviously the size of the balance does matter because that obviously affects the size of your monthly payment. But fortunately, with the, the different types of income-based repayment programs out there, there are ways to make that work and make that large balance of student debt look more manageable on that monthly basis. As well as there's this, <laughs> I've started to notice, the more I look at personal financial statements of veterinarians, specifically those with student debt, there's this really interesting mathematical thing that happens relative to looking at a personal financial statement because personal financial statements, you're simply listing basically on paper what you're worth, which for most young veterinarians is not a fun activity, but you're listing your at assets, which is what you own of value and their worth, and your liabilities, what you owe. And in that, you know, for instance, on the asset side, let's take a house, for example. What happens on a personal financial statement when you buy a house? And what happens to the difference between your assets and your liabilities is your net worth. And so when you buy a house, you are buying an asset that gets listed on that asset side. Say, let's just say it's a $200,000 house. That asset is getting listed there. And then on the other side of that equation, you're getting a giant liability to go with that, most likely in your mortgage. Call it $180,000 in liability. But to your net worth, it's not a huge hit because when you're looking at that, they're balancing each other out. For that giant liability, you have that giant asset to balance it out. 
Well, with student debt, because the asset you're buying is intangible, it's that knowledge between your ears and those letters behind your name that, for instance, a bank can't take from you <laughs> if you, know, you were to default on a loan. You don't get to list it there. You don't get to list that asset that you're buying as a tangible asset as a, of a monetary value. And so it's skewing that side of the equation of that liability of that whole student debt doesn't have a tangible asset to balance it out. So it drastically sinks that net worth um, simply because it's not getting balanced but we know that that is an asset you having that degree allows you to practice medicine allows you to own this type of business and allows you to get a return on that investment if you so choose to and so really understanding when you see that negative number which I know can be a gut-wrenching feeling don't let it get you down and understand that what we're looking at is on a monthly translates into yearly inflows and outflows of money is is there enough money coming in and enough money coming out and that determines you know the size of practice you need to buy to be able to support that monthly debt obligation so student debt especially to the lenders within the veterinary space that understand what's happening and what's happening in this transaction to a local banker it might look scary so don't get discouraged if you know your local bank down the street doesn't really understand it but the good news is there are banks and lenders within this space that understand what that student debt represents and how to make practice ownership possible despite that. So that's myth number one, I can't buy a practice because of your student debt. False, you can. You have to find the right practice to be able to support it. Myth number two, practice ownership is just like being an associate plus a little extra. Well, not quite. <laughs> um, a really interesting thing happened here at the bank. It's kind of a story to, to bust this myth that we thought that the best person to be lend to would be that person that had been in the practice for 10 to 15 years and as an associate, the older veterinarian was ready to retire and hand the practice off to that person. Sounds reasonable, right? And what we found was that in those transactions, there was a significant number of those where they actually struggled being the business owner. And so here at the bank, they, they deemed it long-term associate syndrome. <laughs> and what they kind of attributed it to was that person for so long had had an employee mindset of coming in eight to five, this is what my job consists of. And they didn't realize that grit and that burning desire, they didn't have that to be the business owner and take on the responsibilities that that role entails. And sometimes that is a 24 seven job. It can be a lot of work depending on what's going on with that practice. Down the road, once things are running smooth and you have all your wheels in place, then it can be a, a freeing experience. You know, you can be able to step back from the practice, but at first it's going to be a huge commitment and you can't just, you know, live the lifestyle you were living as an associate. So knowing that you're stepping up into that leadership role. And time and time again, we hear that stepping into that role, that the thing they didn't expect was how hard it is to manage people. That is a, a huge challenge that the leader of that business is ultimately responsible for. And so learning how to manage people and the nuances of that and, and being responsible for um, taking on that is incredibly important and to understand that 
that is part of your job as the practice owner. You're also, as the practice owner, responsible for setting up all of the support systems that make that business run. As an associate, you show up to your job every day. You don't have to worry about, well, where are we getting our drugs from? Can we negotiate a different deal? Who is our insurance provider? Um, not just our professional liability insurance, but also the small business uh, insurance. What do we do if there's a fire? What are our protocols? What are our emergency protocols? Let's think about the computer systems in this place. Do we need to upgrade? Are they secure? Are we securing all of our client information? All of those things ultimately fall on the practice owner. So it's not quite just like being an associate with a little extra. There is a lot more responsibility. But finding the right people to be able to support you and getting great education before you step into that role, all of those things can mitigate that. And you can go into that ownership role, eyes wide open, and being prepared to take on that role. And then myth number three. This is one we hear a lot. Well, either I can't find a job in my hometown or none are for sale, so I will just start my own practice. And while that sounds really good in theory, any sort of startup business is extremely challenging. Even with a ton of experience, even in a great marketplace, there are a lot of challenges with creating a new business with no existing customer base. Those are fundamentally very different ways of getting into practice ownership of an acquisition of buying an existing practice where day one, you're stepping into the system that's already generating cash flow and, and generating revenue versus a startup where you're starting literally from scratch. And depending on where you are, you know, most of the places when you look across the United States, there's some places where there aren't being served by, by a veterinarian, but by and large, it's pretty well covered. And so you have to have a good understanding of why that market needs a new veterinarian. Is there enough demand in that marketplace to support it? And, you know, when you really think about it, most of the time you're going to be stealing somebody else's clients. So why are they going to come to you versus the veterinarian they already have a relationship with? Now, there can be overwhelming reasons as to why to do that. We've seen success story after success story in some cases, but we've also seen a lot of people struggle, especially if you're coming into this just a couple years out of school. You've never ran a hospital because there's just a lot of nuances of even stepping into that existing acquisition, existing practice of just getting your feet wet and understanding what works, what doesn't, versus in that startup scenario, it's a struggle. And one small mistake can make, be a fatal mistake early on, and you just don't have that experience to work from. So really looking into, you know, if and when we do consider a startup, things that we are looking for are an unbelievable business plan of convincing us as to why this type of business needs to be on this type of corner in this town and here's how and why you're going to get clients and what is that going to translate into the financial projections of that business and that market's need for a new veterinarian. And then what is your marketing plan? We want to know how are you going to get people coming through the door because that's going to bring dollars through the door and that's going to ultimately be the revenue and what we're looking at from the bank perspective is that's how the loan's going to get paid back. So understanding your marketing of getting a new clientele in as well as management. How are you going to manage this thing? And so we're looking for a, a lot of experience in the management side because on a good day startups are hard 
much less if you don't have that kind of learning the ins and outs of how to manage people. Again, that's consistently a thing that we hear. And, and if you don't have any experience in that area in this startup phase, because a startup on a good day is not being truly profitable for at least probably 18 months. And so that's a year and a half of trying to break even. And are you making mistakes along the way that if you had that experience, you could avoid? And then as well as just the nuances of designing the building and setting up the practice, as well as what kind of equipment is truly going to be you know, get you a return on that investment to generate the revenue versus just what, well, it's a shiny new object that we want, the shiny new toys that we as veterinarians always walk through the trade shows and want them all. But being very strategic in those choices of, of what's going to bring in the dollars because you can provide good quality care, as well as hiring and training employees. You got to think about that of you got to, yes, you get the opportunity to build your team from scratch, but guess what? you also have to build that team. And so you have to understand, what do you need to train a receptionist to do? What do you need to train those technicians to do? And that, again, going back to you are the top of the food chain. And so ultimately that's on you to train those people in the way in which you want, as well as develop, developing all of the systems um, that that practice is gonna operate by of how do people check out? How do people check in? How do appointments get seen? What are the medical protocols? What are the emergency protocols? Setting all of those up, um, which sounds great when you say it real fast, but in reality, that's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, and then continuing the client outreach to be able to maintain those systems, both with the building that trust within the community and building that trust with your employees and your team so that people bond with that clinic. And then also, how are you going to support yourself during that time period? So another one of the things we typically look at with startups is, is there some sort of secondary source of income that if this business isn't quite doing as well as we hoped, that it would be able to, that you would be able to still pay your mortgage and be successful and be able to live a reasonable lifestyle, even if things get a little off track. It's the, the unknown of unknowns of being able to say, well, there's things that are gonna happen are you going to be able to weather those changes? So understanding that veterinary startups can be a very challenging venture if you so choose. So while some people are very prepared to do it, it's a much bigger undertaking than a lot of young associates may imagine because of so much. And when we look at, you know, back in the day, people were able to kind of hang their shingle and be able to practice veterinary medicine. But when you look at all of the equipment and the expense that we need to be able to provide quality care, um, there's a lot more expense that kind of goes into being a competitive veterinary practice within the area. Now we are starting to see a lot of new trends and a lot of new business models evolve and those might have a significantly lower startup cost. But you still got to consider all of those different um, aspects of a business plan to make sure that your business is going to be successful because we want those to succeed. It's just, again, go in eyes wide open because you don't know what you don't know. And so really getting a lot of, having a good advisors to know and help protect you and help you understand what you're about to undertake because there are a lot of challenges that go with starting a new business, particularly a veterinary hospital in an existing marketplace. Myth number three, if you can't find a job in your hometown or nothing's for sale and you wanna be a practice owner, really take a long, hard look at what it takes to start your own. So I hope this helps as far as some of the misconceptions of going from an associate to an owner. Awesome information. Thank you so much, Jessica. I think the most important thing that you 
emphasize is go into it eyes wide open, but know that there's lots of networks and support out there and resources. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. And it's a great way of being able to invest in a field that you're passionate about and to be financially savvy and to learn a lot. Um, But again, great information of going into it eyes wide open requires a lot of sweat equity. Yes, it does. It does. Uh, But it's very rewarding sweat equity. You know, at the end of the day, you're getting to live the American dream and own your own business and provide a living for all of your staff and give them a place to come to work every day and enjoy their job and and help animals along the way. And I mean, that in itself is extremely rewarding. And so that's what drives so many people to do this. It's just, again, I feel like sometimes I'm giving all the negative aspects, but really it's just to be prepared so that you can go into it and enjoy the process because you've prepared yourself for it. Awesome. Thank you so much. And again, really appreciate you taking the time to teach us about practice management and practice ownership. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on.